0: Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome once again to the Empower Humans Podcast. This is episode 47, and we are so, so happy and privileged to have this interview for you today. This is going to knock your socks off. This interview with Laura Gassner-Oding. She's author of the new book, Limitless: How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. She's been on the Today Show. She's worked with all kinds of leaders and uh, corporations and entities, uh, headhunting, all these great things she's done over the years and uh, nonprofits and so on as well. And so she has this 20 plus year career that we talk about, get into some of that history. And most importantly, this content of this book, which is some priceless stuff. She talks about getting unstuck, get out of our own way. And we talk about having some purpose and not trying to fit some mold of whatever someone else wanted you to do or what you think you're supposed to do because some, teacher said this or that or whatever it might be it's it's not about any of those things being right or wrong but it's about freely living your life and and finding that purpose that contribution and and having control of your life as well and so i can't do it justice explaining it all here but we get into so many great things i want to remind our audience as always you are priceless you are absolutely priceless nothing can change that nothing 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 can change that Past, present, or future, you are, have been, and always will be absolutely priceless. Do not forget that. And because you're priceless, uh, take some action. Continue to listen to this podcast. Continue to take real action in your life. And Let that pricelessness unfold and bloom and blossom. And also, again, I remind you, you're never alone. We're here. This is, uh, I don't talk down to our audience. We're all here in this together, in this world. And we are one as people. We are never alone. You have so many resources. Reach out to me if you need to. Whatever the case might be, I'm happy to respond at empowerhumans.com or at empower101 on Instagram and Twitter in particular. And again, our challenges, as always, when we have an interview, I just throw all this in up front. Our challenges study keep studying if you have been start studying if you haven't been learn grow progress that's what i challenge you to do so many resources no excuses let's get out there and do that as part of that i'll remind you also and i'll get into these other two challenges our podcast is sponsored by audible so go to audibletrial.com empower humans again that's audibletrial.com empower humans I've been listening to all kinds of great books and programs out there. There is a ton of whether it's biographies, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever you want to study and learn about, or even entertain and stimulate your mind with, whatever that might be, there is a ton of priceless material there at Audible. And so they offer you a free audiobook. So it's free, free audiobook on uh, audible so audibletrialcom humans and on to the other challenges make great moments make the i always refer to making the people because i think that's the most important part of our lives these relationships make these people matter if you have some sort of broken situation with family friends loved ones let's fix that if we can it's all part of a two or more way street with, with whoever's involved but let's fix those things let's make great moments let's surprise people let's love people let's let's mend uh, wounds and bridges, if we can, that might have been might have been burned for a time, but they can be rebuilt if if possible. I don't know why I feel like I need to say that, but some of you may need to hear that. But let's make great moments with our friends, family, loved ones, kids, associates in you know our jobs, coworkers, whoever it might be our neighbors. Make great moments. And the last challenge, of course, is always let's keep doing this podcast together. Uh, I love you. Thank you for joining us. Here's our interview with the one and only Laura Gassner Otting. Okay, we're privileged uh, to be here with Laura Gassner-Odding, author of the new book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. What a great, thorough title, Laura. (laughs) I I love, it, it just kind of encapsulates a lot of great things that I think people can really embrace because I think a lot of people are looking for that kind of thing. Where'd you come up with this title, Limitless.
1: Well, it's actually sort of a funny story because I was originally approached – I was approached to write the book as part of a guidebook series, a guidebook that's going to be called The Non-Obvious Guides, and this one was going to be about purpose, how to do work that matters,
2: right, how mm-hmm. to find purpose mm-hmm. and meaning in your
1: work. So it was originally called The Non-Obvious Guide to Purpose, Doing Work That Matters. And I got sort of partway through the book and, you know, the way guidebooks are written, they're like chapter mm-hmm. one, problem, solution, chapter two, problem, solution, chapter yeah. three, problem, solution. And, you know, it's kind of hard to present this idea of purpose and meaning in a guidebook format. And so I finally, six weeks into the writing, you know, raised the, raised the white flag and I called the publisher and I said, you know, I don't think, I don't think I'm your author. Like, I don't think this book is going to work. And he said, <laughs> yeah, actually, we agree. You're right. And I went, wait, there there better be a butt coming, and <laughs> I've just been yeah. working on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "But we think it's actually a bigger idea, and we think that you should write it as such." So I had a complete panic attack, called my friend Clay A. Bear, who is incredible at sort of packaging and marketing and creating perfect introductions. Um, And I said, what do I do? And he said, well, what do you want people to feel like when they've read this? And Mm -hmm. I said, I just want them to finally get rid of all the limits that they have from everybody else and everyone else's ideas of success and just live their own life and be happy. And he's like, so you want them to be limitless? Yeah. And I said, yeah. And he goes, and you want them to carve your own pa- their own path? And I said, yeah. And he goes, and you want them to ignore everyone and live their best life? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, so you want to write Limitless, how to ignore everybody, carve your own path, and live your best life. And <laughs> I said, oh, my God, I love you. That's amazing. I want to spend eight years talking to you on the phone, but I can't wait to hang up and go write that book now. Yeah. And so the entire cadence and tenor and tone of the book changed in that 45-minute conversation,
0: and it became limitless. Wow. That's interesting. It's funny how things just—I've heard—songwriter, you know, I'm a musician, I talk about this sometimes on the podcast, I'm no big famous, you know, I've got a million number one songs, but uh, I've heard a lot of times when people come up with a song, some of these big songs in history that are just like the iconic— that we all know were written like that. we just kind of out of the blue happen, and it took a few minutes, and here we are, and we got all these lyrics and chords, and it's all put together. And I don't know if you're a musician, but it's the same. It's creative process, and all of a sudden something just comes to you, and here it is, and poof, now you've got this I title. Think, I think that's so right. I mean, I'm I am <laughs>
1: I'm not a musician, although um, I did a few years ago ask for my birthday for a drum set, and my <laughs> husband was like, "But you don't you don't have any." rhythm. And my my, my uh, trainer at the gym was like, you don't have any control over your body and time and space. Oh. <laughs> so I thought, you know, what's the best way to stave off Alzheimer's is to do the thing that is the hardest thing for your brain to actually do. So I thought, well, I can't play music. I don't have any <laughs> rhythm. I have absolutely no experience whatsoever, but I can hit things really hard. So maybe I'll try to learn how to do this. Yeah. And so I do not call myself a musician. I don't even call myself a drummer, but I have been known to um, uh, to, to, to to laugh with glee in my basement while I'm making a lot of noise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's well, see, I can relate. I, that's where I started was drums. So uh, it's, you know, if, if it's something that challenges you, you don't have rhythm, that's where maybe you want to go. I don't want to be too forceful here, but you want to go there to maybe fit yourself into this category and and I know you talk in your book I don't want to contradict the book we don't want to necessarily fit molds but these are people's molds I mean the mold of what music is of course you have to fit a mold to write a book that has to fit on pages and contain words <laughs> but but yeah I mean that, if that's something as far as rhythm and whatever else the coordination of playing the drums that you didn't have it's uh, I, I don't think people should necessarily discourage that and I, and I commend you for for pursuing it uh nonetheless yeah, you
1: know what? that you have been as the person you're going to be, right? So, like, just because I haven't done it doesn't mean I'm not going to. Um, One of my favorite stories about a musician who figured out his own path um, was this unknown musician from new jersey who we've mm-hmm. all heard of now who was toiling away um after hours in the clubs playing mm-hmm. cover bands and a friend of his said hey bruce i got you and i got you an interview with this giant producer in manhattan what do you think and bruce springsteen slings the um his borrowed guitar over his shoulder and gets <laughs> on a bus to like go into manhattan and 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 before he gets there he thinks well what am i going to do right and he says you know i, I don't play as well as hendrix I don't sing as well as Orbison, so, like, (laughs) hey, what do I do? And he he, he, he basically um, hides out um, at the bar with the piano for, like, six weeks, writing and writing and writing and trying to come up with something that feels like him. And by the time he gets to Manhattan, he sits down at the the producer's office, puts his head down, and starts playing. And 45 minutes later, the producer says we need to make this album right now. And Bruce Springsteen becomes the boss with greetings from Asbury park, right? Like he found his voice because he realized he couldn't be everyone else. And until he could figure out who he was and then it comes together, but it's not just like, wow, overnight success. It's, you know, 20 years of toiling to become an overnight
0: success. Yeah, no, no kidding. And that's (laughs) anyone who's been around a while knows that fact and has learned it as you have personally, it sounds like as well. And, uh, I love that story and I love the idea of maintaining your own identity because, and I heard somebody in another podcast recently say that when you, uh, maintain your identity, it's, uh, you have no competition. It's because you are you, you don't have to go try to be some other thing. I'm going to go try to be, you know, this other podcaster or Jay Leno or whoever the heck it might be. I'm going to be me, my own version of some things that might be related to some of these other influences around me, but I'm me, my personality, my influences. And and on that note, by the way, Laura, let's talk a little bit about your background and and then get into some more things about this book and and some of these great topics in it that I think uh, everyone will find real valuable. But tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get into this uh, this arena? Because I know most people have some kind of real eye-opening story, and and maybe you don't, but, you know, tell me, (laughs) how did you come this direction?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it depends on how you're defining this arena, right? So if you're defining it as, as the career that I've had for the last few years, public speaking, motivational speaking, mm-hmm. keynote speaking, mm-hmm. and and writing, that was – completely unplanned, right? That was one of those, like, non-strategic moves that I could probably sit here and tell you a whole story about how it was planned and I executed on my goals and I could <laughs> weave, uh, like, some, uh, some 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 revisionist history to make it sound like it makes sense. But the truth is, I'm a firm believer that there's an adventure around every corner if you just open your eyes and yeah. you say yes. <laughs> and you can figure out the rest later. But I think that, um, I, I believe full fully that failure is not finale, that it's fulcrum. It is something from which you can learn and you can grow. Although I will say I did give a talk last weekend to an audience that had um – an
2: astronaut in it who had done three spacewalks. And I was like, except for you, sir. For you, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Failure is most definitely finale. But for the other 299 of you in the room, failure <laughs> is fulcrum. <laughs> and it was, it was, I went up to him after I was like, I'm sorry that I, I, I used you as a foil. He's like, no, no, you you were right. <laughs>
2: so
1: so um, yeah. I, I had a fourth grade teacher who told me that I was pretty argumentative kid. Now, you Mm -hmm. may be surprised to hear that I told her she was wrong, but
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, she told me I should become a lawyer, and I went, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense, and then I spent the next 15 years of my educational path heading to law school until I sat down in law school, and I went, wow, what am I doing here? I have no interest in being a lawyer. This is a terrible (laughs) mistake, and – yeah. I happened to um, uh, I happened to be dating a,
0: a, a terrible guy at the time, who, by the way, was a drummer. Actually, interesting enough. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're all a, terrible. A terrible
1: guy, <laughs> typical, right? At the time, um, and he said, um, "Hey, it's raining. I'll give you a ride home from class, but first I want to stop by this guy's office. He's his, his local campaign office. He's running for president." And mm. I said, "Governor who? From where? Arkansas? Mm. Not a chance in hell." and so back then before the internet you had to actually stop at people's like local strip malls to like pick up some literature so we walked in and in this tiny little office was this black and white tv and in the corner was 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 this video that was playing and it was then governor bill clinton giving this talk about community service in exchange for college tuition and i said oh my god that needs to happen that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And I actually dropped out of law school. I started volunteering on the campaign. We ended up throwing a, a huge rally in Gainesville, Florida, where we were. And the national office went, who are those local volunteers? Mm-hmm. We, should, we should hire them. So I got hired um, for, you know all the ramen i could eat basically uh to travel around the country and throw rallies like this doing uh-huh. work that's called advanced work it's like you know what the what the um uh what your your roadies do for you mm-hmm. in music. Yeah. and uh one thing led to another and i ended up uh working in the white house that created the program of community service in exchange for college tuition americorps mm-hmm. so i spent four years doing that um really just being up to my ears in idealism, um, at the end of the four years, I was ready to get back out on the campaign trail. And my mentor said to me, in uh, the way that only a loving mentor could say, well, you're kind of too young to get – or you're kind of too old to get back on the campaign trail and eat cold pizza and sleep on high school gymnasium floors. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you're kind of too <laughs> – Young to be domestic policy advisor. So, you should go talk to my friend Arnie Miller, who runs a, a nonprofit executive search firm, and he'll find you a job in the nonprofit sector. You'll hide off for four years, and then he'll come and do something big when Al Gore runs for president. And I said, Great, that sounds perfect. And within five minutes of talking to Arnie, mm-hmm. I put two and two together, and I realized that his office was in Boston. The guy, much better guy that I'm dating at the, at the time, is heading to Boston. And I'm like, Great. Terrific! I'll take. He offers me a job. You don't want to work in the nonprofit sector. You want to work for me? Offers me a job. I say yes, and then I go. Now tell me what you do again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Turned
1: out, I ended up marrying the guy, and I ended up becoming an executive recruiter because that's what he did.
0: Wow! Wow! So
1: I spent five years working for him. Really. Understanding from the best and the brightest how, how to understand what makes a leader tick and how um, you can not just see what someone's done and how they've done it, but why they've done it and how that's going to make them successful when push comes to shove. And then I had a yeah. moment of entrepreneurial rage where I decided I could do it better and smarter and faster and with more authenticity and integrity and profit. And I struck out on my own. Wow. Ran my own firm for 15 years. Um, based on this entirely different model of leadership and management. And then I sold it to my people a few years ago and was asked to do a TEDx. That TEDx got attention. That attention got me offers to speak. Those offers to speak came with money. And I went, wait, what? This is a job?
0: Yeah, yeah. No kidding.
1: (laughs) Wait, tell me more about this job where I get paid to speak about the things that I've spent 20 years learning. And Mm -hmm. so here I am in this whole new, approaching 50 years old, unexpected, non-strategic move of a career that I am now investing everything I have into, into mastering
0: and I'm having the time of my life. Wow. What an interesting chain of events. I mean, <laughs> that it's that interesting. Story? <laughs> no, that's a great, that's a great, and you tell it very well. You're good speaking. Now, some people are scared of public speaking. So someone would just say, uh, Hey, come speak and we'll pay you money for all the money in the world. Some people wouldn't, wouldn't accept it. It's just everyone's, everyone's a little bit different. I like that, but it's interesting. You look back on life. We've all, you and I, at least, have lived a few years now. We can look back a little and see how the planets aligned here and here and here and got you to this place. And one little shift here or there could have gotten you completely somewhere else, you know. Uh, so it's an interesting uh, chain of events. Uh, but you're all these. Go ahead
1: sliding door. So like had I taken had I had, had I had I had criminal law in the morning instead of in the afternoon, I might not have been dating this guy who was in my class. Had I not been dating the guy, had it not been raining that day, had he not driven me home, I might have missed out completely on hearing this one particular you know, line <laughs> of a talk from Bill Clinton. I might not have heard of I mean you know, the whole I, I I could be I could be, you know, working in the district attorney's office in Miami right now. I mean that yeah. the sliding door of, uh, that we have in all of our lives is so interesting to me. And what it always tells me is that if fate is so fickle that, it, that, that any, you know, one, like if this call goes five minutes longer or 10 minutes shorter, and I decide to go and I run it to somebody at, at CVS that I wouldn't have seen otherwise, it means that nothing is permanent and that we always have the opportunity and the ability to change at mm. any given moment. And we can always affect, you know, difference
0: in our lives. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, how does that whole, uh, observation govern your way of thinking? Because a lot of people don't think that way. We have kind of this, uh, there's these books about fixed mindset versus growth mindset. A lot of people fall into, and you and I at some points in our lives even have probably fallen into this fixed mindset trap where, Oh, okay. Everything's just kind of set or uh, I can't change. I can't learn to play the drums maybe, which obviously you didn't fall into that. But, uh, what, what do we have to say to people who fall into these fixed, kind of limited ideas? Cause, and, and you could drive yourself crazy, too, thinking, well, what if this, what if that, <laughs> of, if, the, if it hadn't rained, and these different specific things that led you down these paths. Yes,
1: yes, you know, I was joking around with a friend of mine that um, that I fully expect to be under the oak tree with Oprah, having a soul, super soul Sunday conversation, <laughs> and he was like, well, why on earth would you why would she pick you? And I'm like, well, she's got to pick someone. It's got to, it's got to be someone. Why not me? Right? And I think we spent all this time in our lives telling everyone else all the reasons why not us, and we listen to all the other things that people tell us why yeah. not us, and we don't go, well, yeah. but why not? You know? yeah. Why not? It's got to be someone, right? Someone. Someone had to break the four minute mile when Roger Bannister did it, nobody had done it before that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then
1: after he did it, people did it over and over and over and over because somebody just had to do it. There has to be someone, like there's nothing special about you or me or anybody else except that we just try. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know, I think I, I will acknowledge that I have an enormous amount of privilege in my life, right? So failure for me looks different than failure for somebody else. But I also, I also understand that it's not definitional to who I am so we could see um you know I was looking at your Instagram feed and I saw that one of my favorite quotes that you had was Zig Ziglar saying that failure is a it's it's not a person right it's like failure is not a person it's 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 a moment and I think if we stop thinking about failure as definitional to us then it gives us a huge amount of opportunity to explore and to try and to understand that in that we'll figure things out you know we um the founders of, of Google, um, I, I think we'll all admit, are exceptionally successful. And um, I read an interview with them once where somebody said, You know, both sets of your parents are academics. Do you credit that with your great success? And they said, No, actually, we were both Montessori kids. And in Montessori, you get these great three hour blocks. Every morning to just do work and to explore and you have you know, unlimited freedom within a very specific you know, set of boundaries, but you get to continue to explore and define and there's no dead end. There's just always more questions you can be asking. And I think if we take that that mindset and we think about what else we can be doing, mm-hmm. then it
0: works. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, that's that's a interesting. And you talk about failure uh, and so many people, and we've talked in a few recent episodes, I think back in December, we had an episode called Fail in Order to Succeed, just uh, throughout throughout human endeavor, whether it's sports, whether it's business, whether it's music, whatever it might be, there, there's this process of failure. Even, even you look at a guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger, people who are bodybuilders, you know, you have to bring your muscles to the point of failure to the to make them grow to make them develop to be able to uh, have more faculties about you so it's very interesting as a, as a part of nature all around us we talk about failure and it's, it ought to be something we embrace then wouldn't you say i mean not just oh let's let's avoid fail and to avoid failure we avoid doing anything sometimes right some people yeah but you know where
1: that comes from that comes from fact that as adults, we get hired and paid and praised and promoted from mm. living in the center of our excellence, right? Mm-hmm. You get paid because you know how to sell a widget. Mm-hmm. And the more times you sell that widget, the more times you get you get promoted, right? Good job selling the widget. But nobody said, hey, you've done such a good job selling the widget. Why don't you come in and talk to us about our marketing campaign around the widgets?
0: Yeah, yeah. We don't get to good. do
1: that. And so so we, we are afraid that if we do that, we might fail. And then and then we think about our kids. So I, I mentioned my teenage kids. As you might imagine, I go to a bunch of parent-teacher conferences, and in those parent-teacher conferences, I get told in 15-minute segments all day long from math and English and science and history teachers, here are the things your kids are struggling with. Mm. And I could leave, and I could say, well, shoot my kids are a hot mess (laughs) now what do i do or i could say isn't that interesting because they learned algebra pre-algebra so now they're learning algebra Mm -hmm. once they learn algebra they learn geometry once they learn geometry they learn trigonometry right and they are constantly living on the edge of their incompetence they don't spend five years perfecting algebra. They've already got that. It's time to move on to the next thing. But as adults, we stop doing that. We stop living on the edge of our incompetence because we're so afraid to fail. When in fact, the only way to develop confidence is to start showing competence. Mm-hmm. So you know you put one mm-hmm. foot in front of the other and that's how you know you can run a 5k. And once you've done that, you're like, huh, maybe I can run a 10k. And once you've done that and you haven't exploded, maybe you could do a half marathon. but you don't have the competence to have those big dreams and to try new things and to live on the edge of that incompetence mm-hmm. until you are able to develop competence
0: and keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I know I've heard Brendan Burchard talk about the confidence, competence, uh, I don't remember what it's called, the cycle, or something, but the same thing you just described, essentially, layer by layer, you're adding at the edge of your incompetence uh, development. And that's what we have to do. But it takes a little, it takes some boldness. It takes some self-confidence. It takes maybe a different mindset to not be lost in this. But the interesting thing, too, people have used this phrase for years about think outside the box. Or even, at, you know, Taco Bell used to say, think outside the bun. But uh, <laughs> thinking outside of whatever it is, uh, of, of just thinking differently. And so uh, I think that's what has made uh, America such a great place because we've had these freedoms. And a lot of us just kind of take it for granted. We're, maybe we were born here and and we just we've always been free. You know, a lot of us don't even vote these days for crying out loud, which is kind of ridiculous. But we won't go there right now. <laughs> but
1: we uh, can do a whole other show on that. How maddening that is!
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll do five more episodes. We'll do these various topics, but uh, but that you know, so many great innovations have consequently come through America and from America. Airplanes, you know, largely the internet and TV and movies and music and all these things that have just you know. Scattered throughout the world, but started here because we have that and we need to. And this could go to anywhere in the world, this podcast, of course. We're at such a beautiful time that the internet and all these things, anyone can access it and hopefully they understand our English here too. Uh, but uh, why why are we not harnessing so much more of this? We just get lost in it. Like, I heard this morning, by the way, that the healthiest nations in the world, uh, I think the healthiest one was Spain. And then you have Japan and Switzerland. And uh, I think Finland or Iceland was in among the top five. But America was number 35. And yet we're yeah. so rich and so free. <laughs> and there's only 195 not, only, but there's... Uh, 195 countries in the world, but we're number 35, but we're up there as far as consuming things and obesity and all these other things. What's going on in America? I mean, do you have any thoughts on this? Because you speak to people all the time. You're getting to know people left and right. You just spoke to 300 people the other day, including this astronaut. (laughs) I mean, What's going on with all this in America? Do you have any insights?
1: Unhappy. I think people aren't happy. If you, um, there's a, there was a, a, a recent uh, Gallup poll that said that two-thirds of American workers are disengaged from their work. Mm. Two-thirds of American workers go to work thinking, can't wait to clock out. I'm, i can't wait to leave work so i can have my life now i just flew home last night um from philadelphia to where i live in boston and we had 45 mile an hour wind gust when we took off and 45 mile an hour wind gust when i landed and i was Goodness. thinking about that statistic and thinking gee i really hope that the pilots and the air traffic controllers are in the third of the american workforce that are engaged because oh my god <laughs> now i know what the inside of a martini feel martini shaker feels like but think about that think about the effect of being miserable in your work,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. Or just
1: not even miserable, like just being unhappy, this like insidious unhappiness that we don't even realize is coming. That, you know, we, at at the age of 17, 18, 19 years old, we're, we're told to pick a career or to pick a college or to pick a major and to make a decision about a life path So like think about who you are when you're 17, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. You probably don't really know who you're going to be. Frankly, you don't even have a full frontal lobe, you know, part of your brain that dictates good decision making we don't actually have the capacity to make the decisions that we make and then we set out on this path and the only the only the only way that we're able to think about what success means is by just listening to the definitions of everybody else around us and and assuming that that's what's right for us right so that fourth grade teacher who told me i should be a good lawyer i was like oh okay that makes sense i should be a lawyer that's what i'll do and then when i got there and realized i was miserable i might have been stuck but yeah. because I just blew everything up, I, I changed my life. But most people say, well, I've already gone this far, sunk cost fallacy, or I've already gone this far, I should just keep going. And then we turn around one day and we say, oh, is this all there is? Is this all I'm meant for? And so, you know, we... We, we 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 watch TV and we eat and we do things that feel good for quick dopamine hits because we can't do the harder things to really make us happy because that would mean actually thinking about ourselves and who we are and what's definitional, what actually matters to us and actually defining success for what it means to us and not just through the lens of everybody
0: else. Yeah, wow. that's what you just said and a lot of what we've said so far, very, very powerful. I mean, we need to wake. I mean, my first episode, of this podcast, by the way, I I was scared I somehow along the line I was I was doing a lot of online selling, and I got to this place too personally where I was like, this isn't you know there's there's no real meaning or purpose here. And I think inherently as people we have that drive to want purpose. And you talk a lot about this in your book. And it's just something that eventually uh, a whole by whole my own chain of events got to this place where okay I'm going to sit down, I'm going to press record, and here we go. And you know I had prepared a little bit of material, I did a couple of interviews and stuff, and I released six episodes all at once and but uh, we talk about this whole thing about purpose and and having meaning in our lives and i think we all crave that I and mean, that's common ground that uh, that we all crave as people uh, you know you talk about at the ages of 15 to you know i i've heard somebody say 15 to 25 kind of is is where you make so many decisions that determine the entire rest of your life whether that's some people get married. You know, that's been pushed back over the years. Uh, but careers and kids and all these just different trajectories of life happen at those ages. And maybe we need to look at, at breaking the model, think outside the box again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah.
1: And, and, you know, so, so there's like a two-part problem. There's one, we don't really know ourselves Yeah, when we're 15 to 25 years old. Even if, and, but, but let's just say, for example, magically our frontal lobes develop faster than everybody else on the planet. And well. we do. Then think about it. Like if you were to give advice to your younger self who was listening to this podcast, what would you tell him? Well, first of all, you'd have to explain what podcasts were you'd have to explain that we recorded <laughs> it you know over the internet you'd have to explain that people are listening on their mobile phones you have to explain what all those things were yeah so even if you do know yourself the world around us has changed so much that your one specific path just create you're a luddite you're a dinosaur you're irrelevant so you have to keep changing anyway so we have this two-part problem of we're getting ourselves wrong and we have no crystal ball about what the world
0: will be Yeah. Yeah. And then people get lost. You talk about people instead turn to some sort of what I would like to call you talk about these dopamine hits, which is what it is. But it's this sensory stimulation. It's just whether it's let's go watch a movie. Let's go hang out Netflix and chill. Let's go uh, just order something. Yeah. Feel something, some form of but it ends up being fleeting feeling of some sort of pleasure, whether it be food or some other thing, sex, drugs, whatever things people turn to. And. I'm not saying that's what everyone listening to this is doing, but if you are, there's, there's other options, my friends. And there's, there's so, so much out there for you, but we get lost in this again, fixed mindset. Well, that's for somebody else. That's for Laura. That's for Phil. That's for whoever else in the world, but I'll just listen and kind of go along for the ride and then go back to my job. And that's okay to go to your job, but let's, let's get more engaged. Let's put more meaning in our life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, Ways to do that. So, you know, I wrote this book because I spent 20 years helping place leaders in nonprofit organizations, right? Jobs that are full of meaning and purpose.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And what I was fascinated with was that even the people who I met who were successful in those careers. Weren't necessarily always happy, and I was struck by, well, if people who have jobs filled with purpose are successful but not happy, then what's, you know, what, what chance do the rest of us have? And what I realized was, oh, wait a minute, I've been running a nonprofit, ex- a search firm that works in the nonprofit sector for years, but it's not a nonprofit. Executive search firm. We yeah. were very much for profit. I mean, we were for less profit. We made enough money because we obviously could have made lots more money if we were doing searches for Coca Cola or Taco Bell or Hilton hotel chains. But we we wanted to do work that had um, meaning to us. And so, what I what I as I was looking at these leaders, and I thought, well, there are some that are successful and not happy. And there are some that are successful and are happy. And what's the difference? And what I found was that the ones who were happy were the ones who had alignment, who had flow, where everything about them was going in the same direction The what they did matched the who they were. And then I started looking at myself, who was not working in a nonprofit, and I started looking at my husband, who was not working in a nonprofit, and my friends, who some were in nonprofits some, and some were not. And I thought, you know, this same rubric of confidence works for them, too, Mm -hmm. this alignment that we're looking for. And what I decided was it doesn't have to be you. You might have a job that you don't actually care about, but it's paying for the lifestyle that you do care about. So I, I, so I, I, I want to make sure that... We have this, this this fallacy around the idea of purpose, that the only way to have a job that matters and to feel meaning is to have a job with, like, purpose writ large and lofty.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah.
1: I looked up the word purpose in the dictionary, and there's no picture of Mother Teresa there, right? There's <laughs> no picture of, 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 of somebody um, sacrificing the shirt off their back. There's no picture of a friend wagging their finger in judgment. It The definition of purpose is just... The reason for which something is done, and so if the reason for which you go to work in a job that you don't necessarily love, but which allows you the flexibility, the freedom, or the or the money to live a lifestyle that you want, that's okay too. That may be part of your purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's again very profound. Yes, and you know I listened to a book a while ago called "Start with Why," which is all about mm-hmm. all about purpose. It's all about he talks about big corporations and so forth, and and kind of the disparity between some different companies, especially, but individuals as well about purpose. People buy uh, don't buy what you sell. They buy why you do it, essentially. And the purpose behind it is is a big part of that. And you use the word alignment, by the way. I love that because throughout our podcast, for those who've listened consistently, uh, we've referred to the word joy, which the word in Hebrew for joy actually means an alignment or a return to something. You know, and so there's so many things that we can learn just in the world around us. I don't want to get too deep spiritual here, but the world around us shows us that we continue to go through these repeating cycles of the seasons and uh, the days and the Earth rotating, and and uh, so there, there's these cycles, and we continue to return to something. And, and you know, you do things like yoga. There's some symbolism sometimes in that where you return and you go into this child's pose and things at the end, but. Anyway, I'm not going to get too deep into all that, but, uh, when we talk about joy and alignment, you mentioned in the book, some things about get out of your own way, for example. Now, what do we mean by that?
1: Well, I think we spend a lot of time getting in our own way because we are defining, um, what success should be by what everybody else thinks it should be. And then we spend time kind of fighting against ourselves. Yeah. So for example, um, I, when I founded my firm, my last, my last business, my, my eldest son was six weeks old. And so, you know, what a great time to start a business.
2: You've got a
1: six-week-old yeah. baby and
2: you have no idea what you're doing either uh-huh. in the business
1: or in motherhood. And so I started, I was like, might as well break all the plates at
2: once and start the, um, start, 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 start the business. Yeah. Um, So I did what what most entrepreneurs do, the mistake
1: most entrepreneurs make, is that I hired somebody who was not quite up to the job, but I gave her a really fancy title so that when we got busy, I could swap her in and let her respond to clients because I couldn't couldn't scale myself. Mm. And then I I realized the error of my ways when uh, she thought she was at that level, when in fact she wasn't, and she became very resistant to learning how Mm. to actually get to that level. So I had to sit her down. It was a couple of years in, and she just—it was things weren't working out. And I had to sit her down and explain to her that she 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 needed to, to she it wasn't working out, and I wasn't quite sure what to do. And she needed to make some amends. But she saw it as an opportunity to tell me how to manage her. And she introduced this thing called a compliment sandwich. Have you heard of a compliment sandwich?
0: No. Tell us. Okay.
1: See, <laughs> you haven't because nobody calls it. Nobody calls it a a wheat bread sandwich. They call it a ham sandwich, right? It's not a compliment sandwich. It's actually the thing in the middle, right? So she says to me, and she says to me in exactly this tone of voice, now, I don't know if you've heard of this thing called a compliment sandwich, but let me tell you how I learned about it in my MBA program. Hmm. Now, you don't know me that well. You've been on the phone for about a half hour. I think you get a sense of, you know, my vibe, right? This is not sure. a good tone of voice to use for me. And so she says, well, first, you need to bring me in and tell me something very good about myself so that I'm open to whatever you have to say. Oh. Now, second, and she leans across to him and puts her hand on my arm. And then the other hand, she, 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 she puts up a finger. And she says, now, then you give me some criticism. Mm-hmm. And then she wags her finger a little bit and says, but it needs to be constructive. Yeah. Then she says, now the other half of the sandwich, the other half is you have to give me another compliment and tell me something really great about myself or my work so that I leave wanting to put into practice the constructive criticism you've just given me. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't the fact that I sign your paychecks enough incentive for you to put the criticism into effect that I'm giving you? But what comes out of my mouth, and I'm not proud of this, this is in fact the lowest moment of my professional life Mm -hmm. is... The problem with the compliment sandwich is that I can't think of a second nice thing to say about your work. (laughs) Pretty harsh, right? Pretty bad. Now, she quit the next day, unsurprisingly. Um, Mm. But what I learned in that moment was I was getting in my way as the manager. At that point, I had a staff of about 10 people. And I am incredible. At being the champion out front, I am the leader. I am the friend you want in the foxhole. You want me in your corner in a bar fight. I will throw you into the deep end of the pool, and you will learn <laughs> and you will grow. And I will never let you drown. Sure. But I am not a good manager. That story should tell you. I am. I am. That story was abusive. It was cruel. Now I wasn't like that on a regular basis, but that I think was the moment where I thought I have. To, I can't do this to other human beings. This is not fair. And that's the moment where I realized that in order for my company to grow, in order for my company to be limitless, I need to be limitless. And what's limiting me is having to figure out the management piece. And that's when I found a business partner who loved the management piece. She couldn't wait to hear about how little Johnny had an ear infection again, so you can't get your work done. Like she loved that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and And that unfettered me so that I could be out um, in in the world talking about the new way that we were doing executive search that was changing the way the nonprofit sector was experiencing it and Mm. expecting it to be done for them. But I had to get out of my own way. I was so busy doing the stuff that I wasn't good at, that I wasn't interested in, that was not my strong suit, that it was stopping me from being able to be able to live in my highest and best purpose.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, you know, that's a very profound thing as well. And how does that apply to people who maybe aren't in, you know, a management position? Maybe a stay-at-home mom or or stay-at-home dad. We've got some of those these days. Or uh, whatever the case might be of any sort of blue or white-collar job uh, throughout the different ranks of these things in America. How does that apply to them? (laughs)
1: I ask people often to think about a moment in time when they were the very best version of themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And now for me, it could be from the stage. It could be making it rain. It could be closing a deal. It could be, you know, getting people to laugh, get on their feet, cheering, um, it, you know, that sort of out front, brash, you know, playing fierce on TV, you know, when I'm, it, 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 it could be that. For others, it might be having a quiet moment with a loved one who's going through a difficult situation. It might be working with a colleague or a coworker who's trying to figure out a puzzle. It might be sitting with the foreman of your job and actually working through um, how to how to how to get you know fifteen different people to work you know thirty two different shifts and how do you figure those those puzzles out? But for each of us, we are we are we are um, faced every day with questions and problems and puzzles and mysteries and adventures and there are some where we thrive, and there are some that don't really work well for us. but I asked people to think about the times when they were the very best versions of themselves, and then to think about the energy the muscles the, the the brain cells that they were using, the amount of noise they were making was it public was it private was it in public was it was was it um, uh, was it in the light was it in the dark? where were they, and what were they doing, and to write those things down and then to try to find times in their day where they can live into that as much as possible. Because those are the moments when really we're, we are asked to, to be such good versions of ourselves that that's our fundamental state of leadership. Okay. And so even if you're not a leader in title, mm-hmm. you're a leader to somebody in your life, whether it's a, whether it's a, a sibling or a child or a spouse or a friend or your community or um, someone on your job site or somebody in your, in your you know fancy downtown office, we all are leaders to somebody. And living into the very best versions of that as often as we can makes that version of ourselves muscle memory.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting too because sometimes we we try to. If I personally, I'll just speak for me, but I think some of us <laughs> uh, try to do too much too. Like uh, get over one. There's only so much time in the day. We talk about these cycles. There's only 24 hours, and then it starts again. And uh, and so that can be very overwhelming where we we have to hone in on what's going to bring us the most value. And that doesn't doesn't just mean money or just anything. Really, it could be the relationships. It could be time with kids. It could be all kinds of things where some people might have, like we say, quote unquote, success, but not happy, not content, not satisfied, where maybe they don't have that time with their kids, but they're working 85 hours a week, uh, you know, making millions in some some job, some business they started. So there's an element of balance, but it's it's also honing in on those things that matter the most. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to all that, wouldn't you say, uh, as far as – I, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I would absolutely say that. And, and, and so for me, that's where the rubric behind this book comes from, mm-hmm. where I ask people to start by thinking about that calling. What is the thing that they care about more than anything else on earth? And it could be curing cancer or, you know, saving um, the whales or <laughs> feeding the poor. But it could also be living debt-free for the first time in generations. It could be sending your kid to a better school mm-hmm. or college or first in the generation um, to, to go. Uh, it could be building a business. If you're an entrepreneur, your calling could be yourself. Uh, it could be solving a problem. It could be um, buying a beach house and a, and, and a fancy car, right? It could be anything. Mm-hmm. The only one who gets to decide what your calling is, what your purpose is, is you. Mm-hmm. So that's the first The second piece of that is to think about, does the work you're doing on a daily basis actually matter? Why do you, in that box, in that organizational chart, um, in that company, why do you matter? Why does your work matter? And would it matter if you called in sick tomorrow? Would anybody notice? The third piece is contribution. So while connection is all about the work, contribution is about you.
2: Mm-hmm. Does
1: this job allow you to manifest your values into the world in a way that feels consonant with who you are? Um, are you able to uh, – are you, are you getting paid to, live, to, to have the kind of lifestyle that you want? And are you able to use this work to build the career trajectory that you're looking for? And then lastly, control. How much agency do you actually have over the amount of money you're going to make and the the, the, the projects you get assigned to and sort of how that, that daily work plays out? Mm-hmm. How much control do you have over the amount of connection and contribution you have to your calling? And for each of us at every age and at every life stage, we're going to care about – calling connection contribution and control differently. So when i was 21 working on that political campaign, i had all the calling in the world, right? I had i had idealism, i had a purpose, i had this societal ill i, I wanted to solve. It was i was all about that. I had absolutely no connection whatsoever because I was, you know, fetching coffee and picking up the pizzas, but I didn't care, right, because I had contribution. Mm. I was making no money whatsoever, but I didn't – the, the <laughs> lifestyle that I needed didn't afford uh, – you know, it didn't, didn't cost a lot of money at that point. Yeah. But I was manifesting my values every day into the world, and boy, did I know that if he won, there might be a pretty interesting career trajectory to come out of it. And then control – I had zero control over whether or not I was sent to, you know, Montana or, 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 or Georgia – didn't make it, you know. I got, I went wherever I was told. But what I cared about at that time, I had, you know, calling and contribution. Absolutely, I needed that. But I didn't really care that much about connection and control. Now that I'm 48 years old and I've got older parents and young kids, and I'm mm-hmm. traveling 150,000 miles a year, I I have a calling, and I and I want to make the world a better place. But right now, what I really want is to, is my calling right now is sort of exploring this world of being a speaker and being an author and trying to figure out how to master the game of how that whole thing works and really understanding, you know, how to do it. And my connection, I'm i am on lots of different local boards and I've got these kids and a husband with the, with a job that's not, at all um, flexible. So I need to make sure that my work matters, that everything I'm doing, I'm getting pulled away from all these other things. It's really got to matter. Yeah. In terms of my yeah. contribution, I'm I am it, uh, the contribution I'm looking for right now is maximum amount of flexibility. So teenage boys, they don't need me all the time, but boy, when they need me, I better be around. So I have to, you know, I want to live in a world where I can have... My cake, and eat it too. I want to be able to have this career, but I also want to be able to do it from my living room. I want to be able to, when I'm home, I want to be home. And then control, I'm an entrepreneur deep in my core. So you better believe I'm going to want to control how much money I'm making, how much time Mm -hmm. I'm spending, and the clients that I'm working for. And so I give you those two examples because I think for each of us, they're going to be different. And then for each of us individually, at every age and every life stage, it's going to be different too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that you got into all that, by the way, because we must be on the same wavelength because I was just about to ask you about these these four C's in the book, the (laughs) the calling, connection, contribution, control that you just went over very uh, effectively, very thoroughly. And one of the things uh, it says here is you can think of it this way until we are able to control how our connection and our contribution influence and are influenced by our calling. We will continue to be limited in the confidence we have in the choices we make and the chances we take. And that rhymes also, which is also beautiful. <laughs> but uh, and I love all those C's. And and another C word I think of is change. In order to make a change, we've got to awaken to this this part of ourselves, and not just go through life kind of like zombies. Uh, because we all have the ability to not go through. Whether you're working, uh, you know, at, at some restaurant or doing the garbage, or or working some executive level position, whatever it is, people go through life as zombies or excited. In all those. Uh, phases or all those levels of life or career. And they can, can't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I am amazed at how many people I talk to that say, oh, well, I'll be happy when.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Right? I mean, that's... um that to me is horrifying. It's, 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 it's actually, it's actually kind of terrifying to me. The, the idea there's, there's a great TEDx talk, um, by a guy named AJ Leon called, this is not your practice life. And I love that expression. It sort of goes through, you know, you, 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 you don't get a practice run through. You don't get to come back and perfect it. Like it's going to be messy. It's going to be sloppy. We've got this one go around on this big juicy planet. And 80,000 of the hours that were on this planet are going to be spent at work. So why spend all of that time waiting to have your life when you leave work? I mean, I think that's crazy. I think if your work doesn't doesn't isn't additive to your life, even if it's not completely aligned to your life, but it at least should be additive to your life in some way because otherwise you're just sort of passing the time during the day. And this, you know, walking around as a zombie – is is it it's just not a good alternative, so when people say to me, Well, you know I'd like to do that, but I can't yet, and I'll be happy when I'm on vacation or I'll be happy when I um finish school or I'll be happy when the kids are out of the house, or I'll be happy when uh, when when you get hit by a bus right <laughs> like, like, yeah. like life is short, and we have no idea like tomorrow is not guaranteed, and i you know I, my my other favorite expression is that there's no day in the week called someday
0: <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, Let's that's
1: right. go already! Like, what are you waiting for? You will never be ready. <laughs> like, I started that that last business when I had that six week old son, and not only that, wow. six weeks. The, you know, the six week old, I had it. I had twenty four hours of labor in an unplanned C section, so I was really barely walking around at yeah. six weeks. But yet, I got a phone call from a friend that I worked with in the White House, who um, was like, "Yeah, so." Ew! I heard you had a baby. That's <laughs> cool, I guess. Oh my um, goodness. But enough about that. Um, are you still doing executive search? Because the the CEO of my of my organization just left, and we need a search. And I was like, uh, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I could have said no. I've got this baby. I can't do it. Maybe later. But I was like, I guess I can. So I quickly Googled how to write a contract for a professional services company and I sent her a contract and my business was born. Like that's, that's the entire master ch- strategic plan yeah. that, that, that went into the founding of this business that I then ran for 15 years and sold to my team. And every time I go and I, and I speak at entrepreneurship classes, like guest lecture entrepreneurship classes, there's always somebody who says, how long did it take you to write your business plan?
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm like,
1: well, <laughs> I didn't have a plan. I had business. And I kind of tell the story. And then the next question is always, well, what would you have done if you failed?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's okay to have these, yeah, these principles that we talk about these people coming out of school with the sandwich, compliment sandwich kind of ideas and things like that. And these other things about the business plan. And those principles are good to have. But it's like building on those principles to, you know, I think about people who've been mentors to me and they've told me things like, I want you to stand on my shoulders of where I've come from, where I've been and go even taller, go even farther, go even higher. And and so you talk about all these uh, these four C's, you talk about being happy when kind of thing. And boy, what a... I mean, it's almost, it could be almost a tragedy and we don't like, let's think anyone listening to this, let's think we don't want to get to you know, age 80, 90 plus and, you know, good good luck. I hope we all live past 100, but some of us won't. But we don't want to get to wherever that end game place is and look back and say, gosh, I, I could have, should have, would have with all that. I actually have a podcast episode called Shoulda, Coulda, Woulda <laughs> about that very thing. And you talk about someday, say what you want about Wells Fargo, but they used to have the slogan, why wait for someday about, you know, go get a mortgage, you know, the banking kind of stuff. But why wait for someday about any of the stuff that is meaningful and matters in our life because we need some true, meaningful, lasting joy and happiness. We talk about an alignment. we talk about balancing things. it's not just work. it's not just, I guess we need to talk about success as not just success is here's the big house, here's the cool car. Success is multi-layered. There's all kinds of uh, elements to success. wouldn't you say it's not just because you alluded to this earlier, didn't you about, some people are successful, but not happy. But what are, what are we calling success then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, whenever
1: anybody asks me that question of, well, what would you do if you failed? My answer is always, well, okay, here we are in an entrepreneurship class. You're writing a business plan. What if you fail? Yeah. And then they always say, well, I guess I'll just go find a job in a cubicle while I work on my next business plan, then launch that. I'm like, great. You figured out, you figured out plan B now work on plan a right what would you do if you succeeded and then i start asking them questions about well, what does success look like yeah yeah and they don't really know like is success is success the highest and fastest and most expedient route to the corner office or is success um you know is success starting a you know a, a sustainable organic farm in the middle of wisconsin like i don't know everybody's version of success is different so when i was recruiting I used to think about these motivating factors, like the you know, the, the checklist that we were given in high school and college about um what makes a good job good. Mm-hmm. It's, the you know, who is the leader, of, you know, who's your boss going to be? What's the mission of the organization that you're working for? What are the skills you're going to acquire, uh, acquire? What's the scale of impact? What's the prestige of the brand you're going to work for? Um, what's the, you know, where's the job located? What's the, you know, what, what are the benefits, flexibility, vacation, healthcare, and then obviously money? How much are they going to pay you? Mm-hmm. And we used to think about that. And we're like, check, check, check. Okay. It's got most of them. This must be a good job. Mm-hmm. And... What I, what I found is as I was talking to people, if I heard two or three of them, I knew you know I'd be able to get a second conversation. If I heard three or four or five, I knew they were pretty much in in, in the boat. Um, and if I heard six or seven, eight, it was like, great, if the, if the client likes them, I'm gonna close the search for this candidate, they're sold on the job, terrific. But executive search is a funny thing. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, th-
1: these searches tend to go on for two and three and four months sometimes. And I <laughs> found that my once robust pool of candidates would dwindle away to nothing until i realized oh i'm calling people out of the blue who are not necessarily looking for a job and telling them all about this new job that's going to force them to change their lives completely and i'm armed with a checklist of mm. somebody else's checklist of somebody else's definition of somebody else's version of success right. and i'm not doing anything to tie it to any meaning for them so for example um If if I'm talking to that student in the class or I'm talking to you and I'm saying, what does success mean anyway, I might say success means money because um, that's what we care about, but you may say, actually – I don't care that much about money. You may enjoy flying first class to a weekend in Europe. I actually want to trek in Nepal and stay in a year. So you don't need that much money. What you need is more time. You're right, right? right. So if I'm saying to you, this job comes with resources, you might say, well, the way that I want to form my contribution, part of my four C's is I actually don't want the increased salary, I want the extra vacation week. So if we're thinking about these, these two-thirds of American workers who are not engaged, mm-hmm. the way to engage them is to figure out what actually incentivizes them. That that really noisy salesperson who you <laughs> keep thinking, I just need to throw you know a higher and higher percentage of commission at, it turns out that if what they care about more than, that, than, than the, the money piece of contribution is actually the values part of contribution, maybe they want to be the chair of your corporate philanthropy committee. Maybe that's going to be the thing that actually engages them to who you are. So I think we have to throw out everybody else's definition of success. You know, the, the, the house and the spouse and the 2.5 kids and the golden retriever and all of
0: that stuff.
1: <laughs> and we have to decide what it means for us. And then we have to lean into yeah. that instead.
0: Yes, yes, yes. yes. And, and most importantly, we have so many options. Like we can't waste this opportunity we have in this modern time where people... All of our ancestors would kill, and some did. But to 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 get to this place, just to have these smartphones and and all this technology and opportunities that we have, that we just take for granted. And you, when we talk about what do you want, that reminds me too. I saw a thing Tony Robbins was in front of an audience, and he started asking people just point blank, "What do you want?" And people didn't have answers. And there were lots, of, and these are people who had opted for one reason or another to be at a Tony Robbins event, so they must have some
1: lot of money to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, have a picture of what success means, but we spend so much time thinking about unhappiness that we actually don't, we don't really have a framework for what will make us happy. I mean, that's why I wrote this book, because I just, I, I, I spent all of this time interviewing people and reading about happiness and fulfillment and all the rest, but there was no, I, you know, Albert Einstein said that all knowledge is experience. Hmm. And I believe that. I believe you don't really know something until you've walked through it. But with all due respect to our good friend Al, I feel like if all knowledge is experience, then all (laughs) wisdom is framework. And I feel like the only way to teach somebody something is not to come at them with a wall of smarts, but to come at them with a scaffold and a framework. And so my hope is that this book provides that
0: for people. Yeah, beautiful. And some people, I want to touch on a few more things, wrap up, because I know you've got things to do with your day as well. And uh, we are so grateful to have had you. But when we talk about some of this stuff, there's always an element of fear. Uh, it, this big, another four-letter word that happens to start with F, but uh, in some cases, maybe even a dirtier word because of its grand impact on what people do with their lives or not. W- what do you have to say to people uh, about the element of fear? Because I think it's probably existed for you. It certainly has existed for me in, in various ways. What do, what do you have to say about that That big four-letter word? <laughs>
1: I have a whole podcast full of things to say about the word, but I'll say two things. I'll say the first is that um, people listening to this podcast may think, well, you know, Laura's got it all together, right? shes I mean, even like Hoda on the Today Show was like, you seem like you have it all together. And I kind of rolled my eyes and gave her like a, I don't think so. They didn't mean (laughs) to do that on live national TV, but, you know, it happened. So I think we look at other people and we say – They've got it all figured out. They seem so fierce, they're so confident, they're so bold, they're so assertive. They've got it all figured out, I don't. The truth is none of us have it figured out. I, whenever <laughs> I speak, I, I always have young women come up to me and say, God, when did you get to be so fierce? And I think that's, it, maybe it's confident, maybe it's bold, it could be any adjective, but I think it's hilarious because I'm just a big bag of insecurities like the rest of us, like we <laughs> all have all these voices in our head telling yeah. us all the things that you know we're, we're doing wrong. And yet we're judging our bloopers by everybody else's, you know, finished, perfect um, highlight reel. And so I think the fear comes from this idea of I'm not going to be good enough and everyone else is going to look at me. But the truth is we're all just a bunch of raging narcissists and we're all so busy looking at ourselves that we're not looking at anybody else. So I think that's the first thing is I think to say nobody is looking that closely. Like the great Eleanor Roosevelt quote is you would worry less about what you thought of, of what everyone else thought of you if you realized how little they did.
0: (laughs) It's exactly. Yep.
1: I think that's a great question. So that's the first thing. The second thing um, that I'll say is the fear is real, right? Sometimes it, sometimes the fear does come from if I change this job and it doesn't work out, I won't be able to pay my mortgage, right? Sometimes the fear is based on, on on actual, like there's anxiety and there's fear, right? It's different. Sometimes it's based on something that's real and and we all have to to deal with the economics of reality. Um, So what I would say is that if the fear comes from this place where you're not entirely sure and you don't have what I would call a complete enough data set to make the leap you know, you're never going to have a full data set. You're never going to know everything because we don't possess a crystal ball. But you need to have enough to know, like, is there is there a, an actual parachute in this backpack? Like, I don't know what's going to happen because I've never jumped out of a plane before, but at least I know that I've got the parachute, right? At least mm. I know that I've got the things that I need. So before you take that leap... I think we can do
0: what my son calls the side quest. And do you play video games? Yeah, sometimes my boys, yeah. I've got two boys. Yeah, okay. So
1: any of your listeners who play video games and you will know that there is the main quest, right? Go <laughs> yeah. to the castle, slay the dragon save the princess. But then there's the side quest, and my my 16-year-old son describes it as this. You know, Mom, sometimes when you don't talk that much at dinner and I can get the dishes done early (laughs) and go upstairs, Uh uh-huh, yeah. He says, well, sometimes my friend's moms do talk a lot, and I have to wait around for them to log in. So since I can't start my quest and go to the castle and slay the dragon and save the princess, I can do a side quest. You know, I know that I'm going to need a sword, and I know that I'm going to need a horse. So I can look at my wheat, and I can tend my crops, and I can sell them at the markets, and then I have money. So then when um, I can take that money, and I can buy the horse, and I can buy the sword, to that when my friend's mom finally stops talking, and he logs (laughs) on, we can go to the castle,
2: slay the dragon, and save the princess. Yeah, (laughs) being productive. (laughs) And I think that's such a beautiful thing to think about, because we all have these moments, and we're like...
1: You know, I really wanted to go for that promotion, but my boss just quit and I have a brand new boss, or I really wanted to, um, I really want to change my career, but I can't quite afford, you know, school yet, or I really want to do whatever, but I can't because, insert real world, real issue here. There's lots of side quests we can go on, and those things are you know, going to conferences and reading books and setting up coffee dates with people for informational interviews or listening to great podcasts like this. So I think if, if one of the things that's holding you back is a real actual fear that's happening in the world, I think there's lots of side quests that we can go on that don't actually cost us a ton of money, mm-hmm. don't cost us a ton of time, and don't bring us a ton of stress that can allow us to feel
0: much more comfortable as we start gathering that data set. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great, great insights. I appreciate all that. And I think uh, our audience, anyone listening to this, can can take a ton of wisdom out of this. Now, uh, last thing I want to touch on here, and anything else that you'd like to touch on as well, but the last thing I would want to ask you, I know that you have a lot of stories in this book. Is there anything you'd like to share as far as these these inspirational stories? There's a miracle story, there's, uh, you know, it, to kind of... Uh, of course what the palate of the people who are going to go out and buy this book of course they'll be droves I'm sure because uh, you're such a dynamic charismatic person with such a great message and you deliver it so well but is there any stories you'd like to touch on from the book uh, related to this kind of putting it in context? Well
1: I think I should probably tell the miracle story right? I, I, yeah. I have a lot of stories of people I have stories of a woman who, 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 who climbed Mount Everest and 200 feet from the top had to turn around because the weather turned bad, and what she learned in that was that success wasn't going all the way up, it was getting back down alive. And she ended up going back up a a second time and getting all the way to the top, but she considers both of those to be successes, right? It's a really different thing. I also have the story of, 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 of former U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew, who actually stepped out of a huge career in law to come and write this legislation for this teeny program that might not have ever passed Congress that now a million people have served through AmeriCorps, and so while Allison mm-hmm. turned around on Everest, Jack stepped off the pass, and each one of them took really brave leaps, but my favorite story, because I knew that anybody reading the book, I had to start with a story, and I knew anybody reading the book would say, yeah, but he had this, or yeah, but she had that, yeah. so I called my friend Josh Mance, who I met when we were both speaking at a U.S. Army base in Japan, yeah. and I said, can I use your story? Now, Josh Mance died in Iraq. Yep, oh. You heard that right. Right. Like I called him, and I talked to him, but he had already died. He died in Iraq. He was dead on the field for 15 full minutes while a medic um, was was administering, you know, life saving drugs and doing the defibrillator and all of that. He went 15 full minutes, which is six or eight minutes past when they're supposed to call time of death. Yeah, and he yeah. his pulse slowly returned and he came back to life. And in fact, not just miraculously came back to life, but miraculously came back to life with all of his brain faculties intact. Wow. So Josh had been on this meteoric rise in the army,
2: mm-hmm. got
1: shot, died, came back to life, had to leave the army, um, and then um, went to go work for Tesla, thinking, you know, I don't do things halfway. Tesla's the fastest growing company in the world. And he went to go work in the human resources department building um, uh, corporate development programs. He found the pace to be like the Army. It was, you know, world domination, it was a singular vision, it was, you know, battle, you know, battle race pace. And he was unhappy. Mm-hmm. Even though he was so busy at work he was doing stuff that mattered, stuff that had a purpose. And he kept getting called to to speak about the idea of trauma, like what happens to soldiers when they come back to war. And what he realized through this was that he 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 didn't have alignment between who he was, this person who cared so deeply about trauma and PTSD and, and, and really what happens and, and and the work that he was doing, you know, in this sort of battle paced environment. He yeah. had alignment, but he but but he had he or sorry, he didn't have alignment, but he had allurement to to the trauma stuff, and hmm. so he left Tesla. And people told him he was crazy. He left Tesla, and he dug all the way deep into the into the pit of his passion and the bottom of his bank account in order to create now what he's doing, which is building um, building training programs for counselors who are working with people who deal with trauma, whether it's opioid addiction or violence or war or or anything. And so he oh. was he, he really turned his entire career upside down, really investing in that passion and caring deeply about it. And so I tell the story to people, cause I say, look, the guy died and he came back to life and he still didn't know the meaning of life, right? I mean, how trite is that? Like we think we're all gonna know, yeah. like you see the light at the end of the tunnel. And by the way, there isn't one. I, I asked him if there was actually a light. Um, but even if this guy, who's the luckiest guy in the world, right? He died, he came back to life. Even if he couldn't figure it out, then the rest of us shouldn't beat ourselves up. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of us can, we, we don't have to grab the meaning of life through, through, you know, out, out of the jaws of death. We, we all have it a little bit easier. So I would leave people with the idea that, you know, it's, it's for everybody. It's going to be totally different and
0: it's going to be okay. If it hurts a little bit as we get there, but it's not going to kill us. Yeah. Wow. What a, what an interesting takeaway from, from his story that he was dead essentially came back And the the takeaway being that if he didn't have it figured out, why are we putting so much pressure on ourselves? (laughs) I mean (laughs) that I mean imagine.
1: Imagine there you are and everybody all day long, every day is like, Wow, you must be the luckiest guy on earth yeah. And you're thinking, I don't feel so lucky, I'm unhappy. But you can't complain because you are dead. Like you, yeah. you, you're stuck, like you're so stuck. And everybody, and, 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 and he actually wrote an amazing book called The Beauty of a Darker Soul, which actually goes deep into you know suicidal spirals and just the depths of despair. And, and it's really wonderful and worth reading. Um, but if, if, imagine that lonely, that horrible, that desperate place that you're in when everybody around you is telling you you're so lucky. And all you can think is, why?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we have such an overwhelming flood of resources at our fingertips, literally on our, you know, touch screen phones and computers
1: I, in our hands all day long.
0: Yeah, which is nutty. I mean, <laughs> and. Uh, And so it's sometimes being so overwhelming. Maybe we don't – a lot of times people don't know where to begin. But what I would say is one thing I learned in the last year or two with a lot – I've had a lot of profound experiences in the last year or two as well, uh, which – The thing that I heard was we are not in the universe. We are the universe. And again, what's the takeaway of that? It's kind of a cute little thing to say. It's something to think about. But my takeaway is let the universe speak to you because you are the universe. And the universe speaks to us. And whatever cosmic profound thing you believe in, uh, do that. I respect that. I don't impose anything on anybody in that department. But I will say there's power, there's energy, and the universe speaks to you. And we always tell our audience, you are priceless, you're never alone, and the universe can speak to you. And just let that happen. Get in tune, meditate, mindfulness, whatever you need to do. But these are things I've learned. I've been going through dozens and dozens of books trying to learn, 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 learn. So if you do the same thing, learn, study, Attune ourselves the universe become mindful the universe will speak to you and awaken to all these things that our dear friend here Laura is telling us about about our calling and contribution and all of that uh, is there anything else you want to add
1: yeah I, you know I love I love that when when I was um, when my younger son was six years old he was fascinated with trains and um, I, I, I did not really understand why but so I got to do um what all uh struggling parents uh get to do which is well we paid a dollar 25 and we spent the afternoon riding around the subway in Boston <laughs> he was thrilled <laughs> yeah and, and at one point we, we we at one point we got you know he had a pee or something so we like got off the subway came um, you know, above ground and all of a sudden there was a parade of elephants walking down the street and it turned out the circus had come to town <laughs> wow, <laughs> Who knew? Awesome. but my six-year-old it was formed in his mind, and he's now 14, but it was formed – it was like – it was it was imprinted in his mind that at any given time and any given day, the circus might come to town and a parade of elephants might walk down the street. And imagine if we lived in a world where we were so open to possibility and what the universe might bring that we don't go, oh, there's, there's elephants. There's going to be poop in the road and traffic, and I'm not going to get where I'm going, but we go – it's amazing. <laughs> it's a parade of elephants walking down the street in the middle of the afternoon. And so I, I, I try very hard to live in that mindset that there's a possibility. And, you know, you mentioned that people might not know where to start. but So I have a solution. Um, I have a framework. Um, and, and that is I've actually created a little quiz that people can take. Um, limitlessassessment.com. And I'll okay. say that again. Okay. Limitlessassessment.com. And it takes about 10 to 15 minutes, there's about 60 questions in it, and it will walk um, your empowered humans through um, uh, the four C's of calling, connection, contribution, and control. And at the end of it, they'll get a beautiful little radar chart that has one graph that shows each of the four C's of what they want, their compulsion for each of the four C's, and then a second one overlaying it, I hope slightly at least, of their quotient, their current, the current amount of calling, connection, and contribution that they have. And they can see where the charts are not overlaying, and they'll get some tips about things that they can do right now, today, to make some changes in their career, in their workplace, or in their life in order to get themselves more in confidence and live this limitless life.
0: Wow. Beautiful. That's so awesome. I'm so glad you have that for everybody, and I, I encourage everybody to go where she said, limitlessassessment.com. And, uh, you know, in closing, you know, you talk about your son. I have a six-year-old turning seven on Friday, and uh, you've got your... Fourteen-year-old going on twenty, and these years, these years just fly. I mean, especially as a parent, but in our own lives, having kids, whether you have kids or not, everyone's a different walk of life, and we have an audience that that encompasses that as well. But wherever you are in life, let's let's kind of romanticize our lives more. Let's awaken to the beautiful things all around us. There's so much of glory and beauty in this world in this universe that we can partake of. And let's not get in our own way as, as Laura talks about here as well. There's so much profound, I'm, I'm grateful as heck for my own, you know, in a, for selfish reasons to have had this conversation with you and, uh, for the honor and privilege to have you as a guest on our show. And, uh, so much more we could say, but we're going to leave it there for now. I think we should have a sequel and, uh, any more books and other things that you work on. We, you know, you're more than welcome to <laughs> join us. We'd love to have <laughs> you again. Um, but uh, so, again, the book is Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. And this is coming out in April, right?
1: Yes, it's, a, it's out on April 2nd, but it's available now on pre-order on
0: Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere fine books are sold. Yes, and as we prepare for this big release of this book, let's go to LimitlessAssessment.com to get ourselves ready and uh, be primed and in tune as the book comes out. So again, Laura, uh, thank you so much for your time. And until next time for our audience, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.